This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Paranorm Girl Podcast. I am your host, Kristen. At the beginning of this season, I said I was going to attempt to stay away from conspiracy theory with this subject as best as I could. Today's topic could be considered a complete conspiracy theory. It is folkloric and urban legend by its very nature. But as we grow closer and closer to our conclusion... I feel it's important now to take a look at a fringe aspect of the UFO and ET phenomenon that has had such a big impact on its researchers and believers. Let's talk about the men in black. Three days before Kenneth Arnold's famous sighting near Mount Rainier on June 21, 1947, a man named Harold Dahl, his son Charles, Two of their crew members and the family dog were scouting for salvage logs floating along the coast of the Puget Sound Harbor near Tacoma, Washington. Suddenly they stopped and stared up at the sky as five donut-shaped objects, estimated to be about 100 feet in diameter and constructed of bright metallic material, circled a sixth similar-looking object that appeared to be having mechanical difficulties. Following the sound of an explosion, the faltering object suddenly flung fire and pieces of what resembled aluminum and rocks of pumice down all around them. Dahl's son would be injured, the boat would be damaged, and unfortunately the dog would be killed. One reporting of this story had the sixth object exploding entirely and disintegrating into pieces. All we need to know here is that there were reportedly pieces of exotic materials to be collected later, and the saucers would disappear. Flew off. Harold would report the event to his supervisor, Fred Chrisman, who reported it to Ray Palmer, the editor of a pulp magazine called Amazing Story. Chrisman had submitted and been published with them prior to this incident, so they, they knew each other. Ray Palmer then reached out and reported it to Kenneth Arnold, whom he would offer to pay $200 to investigate the story he had been told. When Arnold would tell this to an editor at the... <laughs> at the <laughs> it's, a, it's a big game of telephone, telephone game. When Arnold would tell this to an editor at the Idaho Daily Statesman about his investigation and large payment of said investigation, the editor was so excited by it that he just had to reach out to the Air Force Intelligence to report the incident. 
The dominoes seemingly fell, but not not exactly quickly, as it would be about six weeks that until the Army Air Corps would send people, they would send officers Frank Brown and William Davidson, who would arrive to interview Dahl, ask him pertinent questions and snag pictures uh, that he apparently was able to snap during the whole ordeal, and also samples of the fallen debris he and Chrisman had gone back to collect and take them back to base with them. They were there just for a couple of days, and then on August 1st, Brown and Davidson, satisfied with their investigation in the Puget Sound, loaded their photographs and materials onto their B-25 ride bound for Hamilton Field, California. According to the Plains Manifesto, they categorized the materials as top-secret cargo. They, unfortunately, would never make it as the plane would inexplicably catch fire and mysteriously crash shortly after takeoff near Kelso, Washington. Following this incident, on August 3rd, Kenneth Arnold narrowly escaped dying himself in another plane crash. Two weeks following this, a Tacoma Times reporter reporting on the story, Paul Lance, died in a manner where the exact cause was unclear. Following this, another Tacoma reporter, Ted Morello, Died. Following this, Ray Palmer, the editor who set the entire Maury Island investigation off, was fired from his position. And oddly enough, the Tacoma Times suddenly went out of business after 40 years. But this series of strange events all follows a date and incident that makes this story really stand out. On the morning after Harold Dahl had his sighting, At 7 a.m., a black Buick sedan carrying a man, dressed in black, claiming to be from the United States government, took Harold to a cafe where he relayed Harold's exact experience back to him in incredible detail, not 24 hours following the incident. So you got to think Harold wouldn't have had much time at that point to even get those dominoes falling or that telephone game rolling. And yet Harold was told his own story by a complete stranger and then was told something along the lines of if he cared about his family, cared about his own well-being, he would keep quiet. Now, this story, from what I can tell, is considered a hoax. It's thought that Harold Dahl himself uh, admitted to public officials that he had made it all up. However, in an August 14th teletype to J. Edgar Hoover, an FBI special agent stationed in Seattle named George Wilcox advised, Dahl did not admit to Brown that his story was a hoax, but only stated that if questioned by authorities, he was going to say it was a hoax because he did not want any further trouble over the matter. UFOs kill his dog. His family is threatened by a stranger in a suit. People start dropping like flies all around him. Uh, Planes be crashing mysteriously. If this story were true, and I were in Harold's shoes, I would have probably said and done the same. I would have been frightened into silence. And that is exactly the point of the men in black. We will continue this MIB deep dive following this brief word from today's sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, 
it is time to unleash the beach beast within you. This summer, Manscaped is here to help you level up your beach game with their new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. They're going past waist deep in the grooming game and diving in head first to your facial hair fantasies. The Beard Hedger is a game changer, allowing you to shape your beard like a true beach babe. So, this summer, let the beach balls bounce and turn heads all over the place. Visit manscaped.com and use code PNG for 20% off and free shipping. We're big, big fans of the Beard Hedger in this house, but the Pro Kit doesn't end with the Beard Hedger 4.0 trimmer. Manscaped has created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. The kit comes with the beard shampoo and conditioner, specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Manscaped's beard oil helps relieve dryness while adding a little shimmer and shine, a little sparkle, if you will, a little pizzazz, and then... Their beard balm shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames. Sculpt a look that will have the ladies go, ooh, and the men go, ooh, <laughs> and get 20% off and free shipping with the code PNG at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PNG. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke. One guard, 20 lengths. The man in black phenomenon grew as sightings of UFOs increased in the public sphere in the 50s and 60s. The experience of encountering one goes something like this. They arrive unannounced and suddenly. They can be alone, but more than likely they will come in a pair or in threes. There is something very omniscient about them. To say these encounters are not of the highest level of high strangeness is an understatement. They will arrive at homes or places of employment of a UFO witness almost immediately, or at the very least, before the witness has even had an opportunity to report their sighting to anyone. Oddly enough, there are even reported encounters with these men prior to a UFO experience. Something else quite odd about these strangers? They sure seem to know a lot about you and your experience. A talent that helps them as they proceed to intimidate their witness. They announce themselves as intelligence personnel to gain your access and attention. And they can come with such unusual physical characteristics that you would be taken aback enough to actually believe them. To let them in. They drive black Cadillacs or large black sedans. They do seem to prefer their dark clothing. Their attire can appear dirty, wrinkled, and unkempt, or the extreme opposite, without one speck, flaw, or wrinkle. They have appeared bald. They have also appeared with unusual growth patterns, as if recently bald or shaved, or just unusual hairstyles, period. Their walk and mannerisms have been reported to be a bit unusual, being too glidey, too swivelly, too affected, yet with a stiffness, as if it is unnatural to them, but they are trying to play off normal. Their voice is often monotone and sing-songy, and their appearance used to be racially ambiguous, 
it seems these days when we think of men in black, they're extremely pale, extremely gaunt with mechanical, emotionless expressions, sunken eyes. You know, you, you get the visual. And how will you be made to feel should you find yourself face to face with an MIB? Fear. You will most likely feel fear as historically that is a common response reported. You'll be uneasy, perhaps with no immediate understanding why. There's just something off. You may feel confused and disoriented, and you may also feel sick, dizzy, or in an amnesic state for a time in the aftermath of the encounter. That being said, there are two distinct versions of the MIB encounter. One is almost obviously governmental in nature. It's based in fear and intimidation. You will give us what we want. You will never speak of this again or else. Very mafia-esque. The other version is a bit more Fortean. It's high strangeness at its creepiest. These are the encounters that leave folks feeling like who they just spoke to is not quite human. There are many stories of seeing these figures suddenly appearing in homes in the middle of the night, standing over them, silent, shadowy, with red eyes, in a hat. Remind you guys of anyone much? There are also stories of these men mysteriously disappearing, like magic. Such was the case in 2002 on a busy New York City street. A television show about UFOs called Out There was in production with the Sci-Fi Channel. It would never see the light of day. During the filming of its final episode, beloved actor and writer-slash-interviewer for the show, Dan Aykroyd, would step outside for a quick smoke break. As he stood puffing away, he picked up a call from Britney Spears, who was calling to ask Dan if he would appear on Saturday Night Live with her. As he continued to chat with her about it, he would glance over to see a black Ford sedan parked across the street from him with some men staring at him. One of the men, an especially tall one, exited the back seat of the vehicle and from the street locked his rather menacing glare on Aykroyd. Dan eyed the situation long enough to note that he couldn't quite make out the license plate saying it seemed fuzzy and that the car was some kind of police vehicle. Whether this odd visual didn't register immediately or it was the discomfort of locking eyes with someone staring directly at you, he averted his attention for but a moment as he continued chatting away with Brittany and then he glanced back. Dan has stated it took him but half a second to return his attention. But the men and their dark sedan were gone, vanished. How did they instantaneously disappear? Hard to wrap your head around it. Dan suggests cloaking of some sort. He doesn't know the exact meaning of the experience, theorizing it could have been a warning to him or that it was an encounter with the MIB. But he says that the car and men vanished instantly, and he knows what he saw. And two hours later, he would receive word that the show was to stop all production. It had been canceled, and an explanation as to why would never be provided. 
And that's another aspect of the MIB and their power to wreak havoc, instill fear and doubt, introduce actual damage and ensure massive changes in a person's life in order to stop the story or information or or pictures from coming out, such as a story about an interview show showcasing all of the UFO experts of the time produced by a famous actor well-versed and deeply knowledgeable about the UFO subject on their final episode, all to be canceled at the snap of a finger. And if that doesn't work, well, having your proxies smear people's reputations and introduce disinformation is always a safe bet. Richard Doty, whom I have mentioned, was an official with the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and has called himself a man in black. Though I personally don't think that's what we're talking about here, and and that's certainly not what he called it at the time. But at the very least, he would be considered a proxy and friend to the MIB mission. He was tasked with infiltrating the UFO community to instill doubt and misinformation of UFO encounters. He's publicly admitted this. Apparently, he is on the side of the UFO researchers now, but I totally understand the distrust that a lot of folks still have. You know, is he singing a different tune, but still sowing disinformation to this day? I don't know. That's, that's going to be up to you uh, and, and your BS radar. In 1979, Paul Benowitz became fixated on something he had stumbled upon. He began filming and photographing strange lights and recording unusual radio signals over Kirtland Air Force Base. Paul was a UFO believer, and he believed these lights were UFOs and these signals were alien communication. On October 24, 1980, he would contact Kirtland and report his findings. Richard Doty and William Moore would be dispatched. Richard has said his job was to protect technologies and secrets of the military, and that included whatever was going on at Kirtland. His mission, befriend Paul, gain his trust, see what he actually had, and when Paul would voice his belief that what he captured was alien in nature, when in all actuality it was a classified government project, Richard would simply allow and subtly encourage him to believe it. And he would continue to introduce other false details into the conversation to keep Paul on the wrong track. He would even take Paul up in a helicopter to fly over Dulce Base and introduce him to the concept of massive underground facilities, monstrous alien beings inside of it, and be sure that Paul got a good bird's eye view of alien artifacts meticulously staged around the base in order to divert his attention from activities at Kirtland. Bill Moore would later confess that he was recruited and ordered to lead Paul astray. For four years, he was to feed him disinformation, including verification of Paul's beliefs about what he captured and what he thought was going on, his beliefs about the extraterrestrials, and thanks to Doty's effort, his beliefs about an underground base at Dulce. And this ongoing relationship would drive Mr. Benowitz into a mental breakdown. He became 
progressively paranoid and claimed that aliens were coming through the walls at night and injecting him with chemicals. He would accuse his wife of controlling the extraterrestrials. He would barricade himself along with his collection of knives and guns inside of his home with sandbags. And then he would be admitted to a psychiatric hospital for exhaustion and monitored there for a month. And on the other side of this, he would never speak of UFOs or aliens again. This is a disturbing story. The saddest part about this is that some of the things Paul was capturing were indeed anomalous and had the Air Force very nervous. Now, Doty as I believe and understand it, was just an agent of disinformation, a means to an end. Following orders, did his job, whatever. There's, uh, there's a lot of them out there hiding in plain sight. But these people aren't what we would call a man in black. No, the real deal man in black that shows up following legit UFO sightings. No one knows who they are, who they're with. They take all of the evidence, leave you with that sick feeling in your stomach that you might have just been threatened, and then they disappear. Quite a few cases that I've looked into this season have an MIB encounter attached to them. I spoke about Robert Jacobs, who unintentionally filmed a UFO shooting a dummy warhead out of the sky. As I mentioned before, when talking about that incident, his meeting with the supervising officer the following day included a couple of agents, not from the CIA, that he didn't know, who took the footage with them. His supervisor would tell him to never speak of this event again. Okay, okay, nothing outrageously unexpected took place here. What I did not know until looking specifically into today's topic, is that upon relieving Jacobs and his supervisor of the footage, one of those men said to Jacobs, that lets you off the hook, but not off disclosure. Understood? And then the film ended up being completely altered. The object and beams of light were removed. Following the event, Jacobs claims he started receiving numerous calls at his home late at night from a threatening voice on the other end. There were threats to his life. There was damage to his property. His phones were tapped. He was subjected to a whole range of harassment and acts of intimidation. One of my favorite cases thus far this season was Flight 1628's encounter with multiple UFOs, one of which... Sounds kind of mothershipish to me. Am I wrong? It was big. I found this case so intriguing and credible. We have the transcript. We have the objects seen by both pilots and also the ground radar. All witnesses involved are highly credible. It's just, ugh, it's a really neat case. What I did not know until looking into today's topic is that the following day, a senior official with the FAA was called into a meeting of folks who wanted to be briefed on the incident. During his testimony, two men in dark suits that no one knew who they were or where they were from come in and confiscate everyone's copy of the data of what took place, save one. The senior official, John Callahan, hid and snuck his out and years later would reveal this incident and proof to Stephen Greer. Oh, 
And after the strangers collected everything they came to get, or so they thought, they warned everyone in that room that they were never to talk about what happened. The final story I want to leave you with is a very recent one. Something I find intriguing about this one is that it may be the only video documentation that exists of the men in black. Yes, the way you visualize them to be. And it's a cool story that you guys might be interested in and have probably heard of. In 2009, two strange men dressed in black trench coats and black fedoras strolled into the lobby of a hotel near Niagara Falls. They were the same height, they wore the same clothes, and they appeared to have the same exact face, as if they were twins. They were identical in every way, including their incredibly pale skin and ice-blue eyes. There was something very odd about them, and according to one employee, freaked everyone out. As the story goes, they approached the front desk and asked for the hotel manager by name. The manager just happened to be out that day. As told to him by his bellmen, when informed that the manager was out, it seemed like the two men didn't believe that and started walking around the hotel and asking other employees as to the manager's whereabouts. Upon listening to this story the following day, the manager says he was skeptical, but also, not surprisingly, a little freaked out, freaked out enough to run to his office and review the security footage from the day before, and sure enough, there they were. Two strange men, looking just as described, walking together through the lobby door. Later on, another employee asked to speak to the manager in his office. She confirmed the bellman's story that, yes, indeed, two strange dudes were in looking for you. They asked a few questions and then began saying some strange things that didn't make any sense to her about governments and conspiracies. She said they were very, very scary. She described them as having no eyebrows or eyelashes. Their hair looked like it was a wig, only attached to their hats. Their eyes were so big and so blue that she felt almost hypnotized by them. And then she said, You're going to think I'm crazy when I tell you this, but I swear they knew what I was thinking. And the final detail she told her manager was that she didn't see either of them blink. Not once. Now, why would the MIB be looking for this guy? Well, he saw a UFO. According to NiagaraThisWeek.com, in an article posted November 7, 2008, weeks before these two guys were captured on security footage, Shane Sovar, the hotel manager, along with his security officer, witnessed a UFO hanging out over the falls. Quoting from the article, he says... I've never seen a bright light like that. It wasn't pointing down. It was pointing right at us. He goes on to say the light dimmed as it grew closer to the falls. As it grew closer to them, it grew lower until it was no more than 50 to 75 feet above the hotel. As it approached, it seemed to slow down as it came directly over them. Staring straight up at this thing, he describes what he saw as big, black, triangular with a big light on the front and a pulsating red light akin to a heartbeat underneath. 
According to Sovar, it was 10.30 p.m., and at that time of night, there wasn't a lot of traffic and street noise, and you could have heard a pin drop as the big triangular object just 50 feet above him made not one sound. Keep in mind, this article and interview is public documentation with the manager and took place as a singular event before this other thing, this encounter, or non-encounter, I guess, is more accurate, took place. The UFO sighting is documented in the local paper all by itself. It's a pretty cool sighting. And then we have this corroborating footage captured just weeks later, and it all makes sense. Like I said, cool story, right? Almost too cool. It almost makes too much sense. (laughs) I am sorry. I'm sorry to announce. I suspect this story is a hoax. Uh, because it doesn't follow the MIB recipe. I don't know if you caught any of that. Um, and, and there are also some weird inconsistencies, but mostly, mostly the recipe thing. I like patterns. Things have to follow patterns. The video was purportedly captured weeks after the sighting. That's a problem. That's weird. As we've already discussed, the MIB arrive immediately following a sighting. They've got to get to you before anyone else gets to you, right? They, they have to get that hotel security footage of the UFO hovering over the falls or the footage of Shane standing out front staring up at the sky at something. They have things to confiscate. No time for the dilly-dally. Also, the speaking to the employee about governments and conspiracies and all that, it, it feels a little on the nose for me. It, it just, it seems kind of out of character for them to be so blatantly obvious and blabbing on about something like that. Also, the MIB show up almost magically wherever you are, whether you're at work or in the comfort of your own home. MIBs know a lot about you and where you are. It's their job. How could they blunder this guy's day off? And then not at least at that point go to accost him at his home isn't fitting the puzzle maybe maybe they were new i don't know there's zero footage of these guys leaving or standing at the front desk asking for the manager or walking up to the building in the first place we clearly see in the footage that no one seems especially freaked out or terrified i mean there could be all kinds of reasons for these issues i get it Uh, I I know a lot of people love this story and the footage, and I don't want to be the bearer of an unpopular take, but things just don't quite fit with this one, as riveting as it is. At any rate, just my opinion. If the MIB phenomenon is something of interest to you and you would like to learn more and do some digging for yourself, I recommend checking out a documentary called Who Saw the Men in Black?, If you are new to the subject, I also recommend digging into the story of Albert Bender. Start there. Uh, I left it out today because it's, it's done fairly often. I mean, Harold Dahl's story is done often, but you can't not talk about the first, yo. Also, someone please check out the connection between MIB and BEK. It's... It's a whole other rabbit hole, uh, but it's an interesting one 
And there is a weird connection. And perhaps the best way to learn about the MIB, the best way to understand this phenomenon on a whole nother level, is to go witness a UFO. Following your sighting, you won't have to wait long or even look for them. They will find you. Time for a final note. And if that is your wish to meet your very own Agent Smith, and you're like, you're like, Kristen, I gotta get me that picture of the mothership. I gotta, I gotta get into my possession something so damning to government secrecy and cover-up that they send these weird hat man robots my way. Might I recommend Spokane, Washington? Recently, Spokane has been ranked as the top U.S. city with the most UFO sightings per capita. It averages about 52 sightings per 100,000 residents, according to the National UFO Reporting Center. Spokane outranks and is followed in order by Tucson, Albuquerque, Boise, Idaho, Colorado Springs, Las Vegas, what? Las Vegas, Jackson, Missouri, Wichita, Kansas, Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington as the 10th top city, averaging 21 sightings per 100,000. Like, who uh, who would have thought, y'all? Man, the, the Pacific Northwest be popping. And with that breaking news, thank you guys for tuning in today. If you enjoy this show, share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best way to bring new people into the fold Follow the show on the socials at Paranorm Girl Pod, especially TikTok right now. I'm about to head back into Harvest again, and we'll be launching the Harvest series of videos with cool paranormal books that I'm reading and truck thoughts and theories and pranks. I will be playing on my fellow drivers. There, there will be lots of that this year. I can feel it. Of course, you can always reach me at paranormgirlpod at gmail.com. Message me your questions, theories, thoughts, suggestions. Whether you loved this episode and want more just like it, that kind of stuff fills me with so much joy, y'all. And it's good for the show as well as your feedback gives me a gauge of whether I stay the course or change things up. All feedback is welcome. That's a wrap for now. Have a great week, and I'll catch you on the next one. In the interim, stay safe, keep the nightlight on, and sleep with one eye open.